All right, guys, welcome to the second episode of the 10-Year Blue Belt Podcast. I'm here with Ryan White. What's going on, man? Not much. How about yourself right now? Dude, everything's fine. Uh, honestly, it's not even worth talking about the fights this weekend. They're, they're kind of garbage. So, <laughs> Oh, honestly, I can't for the life of me even name any of the fights. You know, I know I've seen it. It just hasn't stuck with me or, or anything like that. I just could not care less. <laughs> yeah, honestly, man, I was looking through some of the fighters this weekend, and, like, I think the two people fighting in the main event, Jessica I and Cynthia Calvillo, have actually both missed weight in their past fights. And the Marvin Vittori fight against Carl Robertson was supposed to happen at the last card, and Carl didn't mm. make weight. It's just a bunch of guys that don't make weight. So not a I card mean, I want to watch. I mean, it's the UFC is in a really tough position here because they're trying to – just get cards out yeah. even though like they're limited with the roster they can use and you know they have so many things working against them i know dana white has come out and sort of voiced his frustration with all of that amidst you know a lot of this a lot of his stars you know saying they're either retiring or asking <laughs> for relief and all that he's everybody's like, you know fired you're all fired he was <laughs> <laughs> just like you know what the world's on fire whatever you fight or don't fight i really don't care yeah man <laughs> that's the way it's got to be i mean what we talked about last week really came back, bit us on the fucking ass, man. What what just came out two days ago, dude? Fucking Fight Island, dude. Fight Island. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Fight <laughs> Island's that, happening. Yeah, I uh, honestly, yeah. Props to them. I, that it sounds really cool, and so I'm I'm actually really pumped that it's happening. Yeah. And that it and the, the fights that they've announced to sound awesome. Sound so, fucking like, great, man. Yeah, I mean, I I personally can't wait for that. I'm throwing out a that, chirp. Oh, sorry. As you're saying, sorry. Yeah, go. As you're saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. Right, I was just saying, yeah, like it's it's just too bad the fights this weekend couldn't be nearly on that level. <laughs> yeah. But we're gonna. But I mean, honestly, we're getting some mega cards. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, and I'm just throwing some chirps out there. I got a buddy of mine who supports the podcast, Mickey Marks, Beyond Average Mick, and he's talking a ton of shit about the fights on Flat Island. He wants to see Masvidal. He wants to see McGregor. Dude, fucking wake up, dude. Gilbert Burns is, is fucking badass, dude. Bad oh, yeah. fucking I mean, ass. Versus Kamara is going to be an awesome fight. Yeah, I mean, they're great. both out of Sanford MMA, right? Like what used to be the Black Zillions, which is pretty interesting. They're both teammates, so I wonder how that's oh, going to yeah. go. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, because, like, Kamaru and, and Tyron Woodley are very similar, but Kamaru has a better gas tank. Because, like, yeah. what's, what, you know, Woodley's big issue has always been that he really only has a couple explosions in it. Like, he may kill you during those, but he's he really only got a couple bullets in the chamber. Yeah. And but Kamaru can go the whole time. Yeah, I mean, he, I think the problem with Woodley is he just fights too much, like, his back to the fence. Like, his, his real – I mean, if you watch the Thompson fight, uh, the first one, the one that went to a draw, you'd, you'd hear the corner continuously tell him, like, Tyron, get your – Get your ass like in the center of the cage. Like, don't back yourself up against the fence. That's where he's he's catching you. So I mean, oh, yeah. he's he's kind of just driven this approach that he knows he's got so much power that he thinks when guys are going to come in, that uh, mm-hmm. he's just going to land that one punch and it's over. But we saw in the Burns fight, man, that I mean, that guy can take a fucking punch, dude. So I think against Absolutely. Usman, it's going to be a super interesting fight. I mean, the guys both train together. I'm sure they spar a lot together. I'm sure they know things about each other that no, none of the public knows. So. It's gonna be a absolutely amazing fight. I agree. Um, what? How do you like the Max Holloway rematch with um, Volkanovski? 
I mean, I don't really know what's going on with Max. Like, Volkanovski is obviously a super tough fighter. Like, there's no doubt about it. The guy was just on an absolute tear. He beat Aldo, he beat Mendez. He was just crushing people on his way to the belt. But, like, the, the classic saying goes that, like, you got you to gotta beat the champion to really take his belt. I didn't necessarily feel that way in, in that fight. I thought that mm-hmm. he kind of just – he did enough. And I think Holloway just didn't show up, but – Holloway's had some time, obviously, to, like, revamp his training and see what he did wrong and come back. And he's got a really good team behind him. So, I honestly see it going the other way. I think Holloway might actually even put him away within five. Like, I could see it happening. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I would definitely like to see that just because I'm I'm a big Holloway fan. Yeah. But what I think he needs to do, though, is just have a plan B. Yeah, for sure. Like, Volkanovski, the way he fights everybody, and then – when it wasn't working for him, he just didn't pivot at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And you see this with a lot of fighters where they'll, they have like their style, they have what, what's worked for them in the past. And then that's all they do going forward. Yeah. And you're just some people where that's not going to work. And there's no, you know, and, and, you know, he needs a, he needs another plan of attack there. And so hopefully he can make the changes that he needs to and then come back and, um, and reclaim his belt. Yeah, man, I mean, he's super tough. I mean, the only fights where I've truly seen Holloway uncomfortable in was the, uh, the McGregor loss, uh, where uh, McGregor even tore his ACL in that fight. You could tell that he was very kind of weary of the movements and scared of that left hand. And then those two losses to Poirier, man, like those are the only times I think I've ever seen him really struggling. I mean, in the last fight, I don't think it was a struggle, but like you said, like – a volume guy in Max Holloway is just going to come forward and put that jab in your face and give you different looks and just really try to hit you with enough punches that eventually you'll go down. But like you said, when it comes down to the plan B, I don't really trust Holloway's ground game, to be honest with you. I mean, we had a guy like Dustin Poirier finish the guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking shit about Dustin Poirier, but he's, he's not a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. We're talking about, Max Holloway, dude, the champ, and he's got no plan B. So I think, all right, to one extent, he's a little figured out, but these guys nowadays, man, he's young. He's not even 30 yet. I think he comes mm-hmm. back and he can really put the pieces together and win it. I hope so. I'd like to see it. I think he's a good champion to the division, and I like having Max Holloway as a champion at 145. And so, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. How do you feel about the trilogy, DC versus – Ohio's best man, Steve Miocic. Uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a big DC fan, and so I'm I'm hoping he wins. Yeah, I mean, I I thought he had the rematch up until the point where he kind of started fighting not so smart. Yeah, when he and, was getting um, caught with those body shots. Exactly, and um, and you know, Stipe just found it and dug in. I mean, it and it's, I mean, it's impossible not to like Stipe. I would just like knowing that this is DC's last fight. I would, for his legacy's sake, I would love for him to win the belt back, go out on top, and then, you know, sort of right off in the sunset that way. But, um, but I mean, really, it could go either way. I think they're incredibly well matched. Yeah, regardless, regardless of how that fight goes down, Ngannou's fighting for the belt next, man. Regardless of how that fight goes down. So it's either, and if you think about it realistically, if Stipe wins, it's Stipe versus Ngannou. And if Stipe loses, the belt's going to be vacated. DC's not fighting for the title again. Like, he's not going to defend the belt. It's going to be 
regardless of what goes down in August, it's going to be Stipe versus Ngani. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, because so with the vacant belt, who would they have facing Ngani? Like, who would his next dance partner be? I mean, I got to try to think of it. I can't even really think of like a clear sort of number three contender who yeah. could find Ngani for it. You can <laughs> you know, always argue for Alistair, but I mean, Ngani or, or, fucking destroyed him, man. Is there maybe that's what they could do to get John Jones to step up and fight him? You know, because like I'd watch yeah, Jones for and sure. for the vacant heavyweight title because it would feel kind of crappy if DC won, retired, and then Stipe just fought for it again. Like, yeah, man. I've, I've always felt like the champion kind of should have to work their way back up. I mean, it's a little different in the um, in the instance of like Holloway Volkanovski where. Yeah, Holloway lost, but I mean, it was a competitive decision. And he was all, and, also like on a massive featherweight win streak. So exactly, he's the most dominant champion of all time. It's like, but at that point, the um, Stipe would have been one and two in his last three. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like that would that, like that wouldn't feel as great. Yeah, man, I, I'd love to see how it goes down. I think I'm gonna give Stipe like I want DC to win, but I'm gonna give Stipe the benefit of the doubt here. I really think that that fight he had with Ngannou, he he actually did take some big punches, oh, and he, he had did. a quick turnaround against DC. And I think that we see it happen time and time again, man. Like these guys go through wars, or in this instance, not a bad wake up, but we saw it with the Joanna Rose fight, where we yeah. haven't seen Joanna get dropped like that ever since, you know. But she was going through; she was very active at the time. Stevie also very active at the time and then fighting a guy that's as dangerous as DC. I can understand how that war with Nganu kind of came out on the wrong end against DC, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, and part of me wonders too, if maybe the first time around Stevie didn't really respect DC, you know, cause he probably did view, you know, even though at that point DC was undefeated at heavyweight. Yeah. And much of his career was at heavyweight. He was at that point known, as a light heavyweight. And so maybe Cipe didn't think he had to respect his power or, um, you know, so he could just kind of stand in front of him. Yeah. And because he definitely seemed better prepared for the, um, the, you know, for their, their rematch, but I would definitely hope to see a DC win. Cause I mean, I mean, how can you not like Dan Cormier? Yeah, it's impossible. I was just watching some of his videos today about how he wakes himself up snoring in the morning. And that's how he woke up to finding out the news about his trilogy fight. So, (laughs) He's just a good guy, man. Uh, it's 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 all give and take. I kind of hate him sometimes. I kind of love him sometimes. But he, <laughs> at the end of the day, he's he's a family man. He's an amazing martial artist. I would have loved to seen it if at the beginning of his career, like he's one of these guys, like a couture guy that didn't start fighting until he was like in his mid thirties, you know? Yeah. Or let's yeah, say early <laughs> early thirties. Uh, yeah, because I still remember watching him fight for Strike Force and all that and him and he you know him sort of disrupting that entire heavyweight tournament that they did and um and yeah it's you know it's he's just such a fun guy to watch and i mean granted i mean steve hayes you know it's impossible not to like him too i mean god the yeah, guy's still sure. a freaking firefighter and um even though he really doesn't need working and uh but he's just a good guy yeah but uh but since we know this is dc's last one and steve is probably gonna keep fighting i you know i'm, I'm gonna Hope that Cormier takes it. For sure. But what I was trying to get at was that, like, imagine if Cormier at one point had this trajectory, like this Aaron Pico type guy, you know, like straight out of wrestling, like knew wanted to be a mixed martial artist. Like, let's just talk into the realm of possibility here. What do you think that DC would have looked like as a middleweight, man? Because he's chubby, dude. He's, he's not 
by any means for his height, man. He's he's a chubby dude. Yeah, I mean, he's only a few inches taller than I am. Like, I remember meeting him briefly out in California because he was, for whatever reason, cutting weight um, before his fight with um, with, with Stipe, before the rematch, even though he weighed in at, like, in the 240s. So he clearly didn't need to cut weight. Yeah. But, he's, you, know, you know, he's not that big. And, I mean, it's tough to say when you talk about shrinking guys down. Because, yeah. like, you know, the lighter you get, generally the more talented the guys get. And, like, we've never seen DC have to, like, fight off of his back because, I mean, you could really put him there. And, but um, but, it, but it, it's interesting. I mean, I would have definitely liked to see, see him, you know, at that, you know, low percentage of body fat. Like, you know, to see how – because he's already light on his feet. He already doesn't fight like a big guy. Yeah, he's so got I feel a like he would just speedy jab, too. I mean, if you watch the videos at AKA Man and you see Khabib versus, or like Khabib next to DC, let me say, real time, I'll be honest with you, man. Khabib actually doesn't look that much smaller than DC. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's so it's, so I, mean, I definitely feel like DC doesn't really belong at heavyweight. I know that's sort of just where he ended up, but even, yeah. even at light heavyweight, he just looked a lot better. I mean, granted, he definitely didn't seem to have the power that he has at heavyweight. You know, I mean, obviously, but, you know, just, you know, he's already fast as being such a big guy. He'd, be, he'd probably be really fast if he was lighter. And yeah, so that absolutely. Was fun to see. Yeah, so what was your uh, favorite fight last weekend then? We had absolute banger fights last weekend. I, I would say Garbrandt a sunset just yeah. because Garbrandt so surprised me, which is how, really just how back he is, yeah. <laughs> you know, because he, he came off of the three devastating losses where he, you know, frankly just fought like a donkey. Ended up getting knocked out, you know, you know, three times in a row. But here, he just looked so crisp. His timing was perfect, and just you know, he made a Sun Sao, who is no man's easy fight. Absolutely, you know, not. like he belonged there. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, we saw it in the post fight interview when he was saying like, uh, "All right, like in the past three fights, I kind of let my emotions get the better of me. I thought that I could sit there and slug it out, but right now at the stage of my career." I feel super comfortable just hanging around on the outside and waiting until you fuck up. And then when you fuck up, I'm going to absolutely blast you in the face with this right oh, yeah. hand from hell, dude, and just knock you out cold. And, and we've never, ever, ever seen a bantamweight do that to Rafael Sunsau. Never, man. It's never happened. Oh, yeah. Well, and God, I mean, because really we don't really see too many bantamweight knockouts anyway. Yeah. And, but between him and Sean O'Malley, they just flatlined their opponent. They fucking starch people. Let's talk about the Sean O'Malley fight, dude. Dude, he, he, he looked awesome. I mean, you know, like we talked about, Eddie Wineland was definitely brought in to lose. But, I mean, he's a, t- he's a tough guy himself. You know, he's a yeah. former number one contender. Yeah. You know, former WC champ too, man. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot he, was, yeah. he was, had the belt himself. And it's like, you know, it, it's like, you know, he, he definitely had a shot there. But, um, but O'Malley, yeah, he just put him out. And it just like, you know, and, and Wineland just seemed to melt off of that yeah. right hand. Too. I mean, it's – O'Malley's such a hard guy to read. You never know what he's going to do. Like, at one point in that fight, he just threw like a – I think it was like a eight-piece combo, like a one-two leg kick, spinning back kick, head kick again, straight right hand – Fake that uppercut real nice and then just pop that right hand right down the middle, man, and just slept oh, yeah, the no. shit out of him. Perfect. You know, yeah, it was definitely like they, they didn't look like they belonged in the same cage together. Absolutely not. 
And, and was, again, to be able, yeah, and to do that to Eddie Wineland is a big accomplishment. Yeah, and the biggest surprise of that night, let's talk about Sterling versus Sanhagen, man. A minute oh, 20 God. seconds is what it took Aljamain Sterling. I was talking shit. I said that I didn't think that Aljamain could finish Corey Sanhagen, and he fucking rode him like a backpack. Yeah. Oh, put his arms around his neck and squeezed the shit out of him. Absolutely. That, um, that was such a jiu-jitsu clinic put on, put on Sanhagen, who, who is a very talented fighter himself. I mean, I pictured that fight taking place primarily on the feet. I figured they'd end up striking virtually the whole time. Yeah. And I can, you know, because Sanhagen has good jiu-jitsu. He, you know what I mean? He's, he is, you know, he is not bad off of his back. So it's Absolutely like not, not really fun to take him down. <laughs> and so I figured they would, they would just be standing. Yeah. And yeah, he just got handled. That was Absolutely handled. bad. Yeah, man. Another fight that surprised me was the – did you watch the undercard at all? I watched most of it, but I, you know, but I didn't start watching until probably like 9 o'clock. Yeah, that uh, Perez versus Formiga fight, dude. TKO by leg kicks. Oh, so, so that one I missed. Tell me about it. <laughs> man, it was just a fucking clinic. Like, we all know Formiga. The guy's been in the division, and he's always been kind of like a gatekeeper to the title, unfortunately. I mean, I think at one point in time – I, if if Demetrius Johnson wasn't around, we could have seen Formiga holding the title. But Perez, I mean, not a really known name. Like he's not Cejudo or Benavidez or Figueroa. You know, he's up and coming. He just absolutely butchered him to death with leg kicks, dude. And Formiga just couldn't take it anymore. The ref had to come in and stop it. So super surprising fight for me. And I actually heard that the UFC was so impressed with his performance that uh, he's going to be a stand-in as a replacement in case something goes wrong in the uh, Benavidez Figueroa fight. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always, it's, a, I always like hearing about the UFC giving opportunity like that yeah. to fighters. And, but, you know, it's like we've seen, you know, with the emergence of the calf kick. And the first time I really saw it at the UFC level was probably Ricardo Lamas versus Diego Sanchez. Yeah. Where Lamas like took away, um, you know, Sanchez's ability to stand upright, you know, very early on in the fight. For sure. It, but since then, I feel like we've seen numerous stoppages due to calf kick. You yeah, know? man. And, you know, it's not really something you see in sort of traditional Muay Thai or kickboxing because in, in, in those martial arts, you're generally really heavy on your rear leg, but pretty light on your, on your lead one. And so it's not going to have the same impact, but in MMA, since you end up you know, standing lower, you know, more weights on that front leg. You're just yeah. seeing that, that that leg get chopped down, you know, out from under people more and more. So it's like an interesting evolution in the sport to be seeing because that's like one of the few things that I feel like is unique to MMA that yeah. you don't see in the, in, you know, in the other ones. Absolutely, man. I mean, we all know that there's plenty of guys with like debilitating leg kicks. We we all we saw Aldo versus Faber and saw what leg kicks could do to somebody. I remember some of the early Pat Barry fights. He he stopped some guys with leg kicks. Uh, John Jones, uh, he's pretty much revolutionized that oblique kick, but it's never been as devastating as what I've seen with some of these calf kicks. Like, do you remember the uh, Stevens Melendez fight, dude? Oh yeah. Those, those yeah. were some of – that was one of the most brutal leg kick fights I've ever seen in my life, dude. I couldn't believe that Melendez went all three rounds with him. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, granted, you, ha- you have a guy like Melendez, and he is as tough as they come. You know, pretty much that whole scrap pack 
you know, with the Diaz brothers. These are Gracie team. Those guys are all badass, man. Absolutely. They're all just, you know, even in fights that they lose, they're just tough as hell. Absolutely, dude. And then talking about the main event, man. I mean, I I don't think any of us saw it going any different, but Mm -hmm. like we said, Amanda Nunes beat the shit out of her, man. Oh, so badly. I mean, honestly, like it actually got to the point where it was kind of tough to watch. Because, I mean, and I feel like this really highlighted just how how much of a drop-off there is in women's MMA yeah, for after sure. the top couple of girls. Because, like, you know, Felicia Spencer went into that being, like, 12-1, and one, with her only loss being a fight to Cyborg. And, um, and that's, you know, I mean, she's a really good, you know, fighter in the division. And she looked like she had no business being in there. She was just getting the crap kicked out of her for the entire fight. <laughs> you probably know what it's like. I also know what it's like when you're the, – the difference in levels. You know, there's – people always say there's levels to this shit. And mm-hmm. me being a jiu-jitsu guy, you being a MMA coach, man, it's like there's sometimes there's people that you train against that just mm-hmm. make you feel like a baby. They cradle yep. you. And they make you feel like a fucking baby. And watching that fight, man, that's all I could think about. And Felicia Spencer, I mean, she is like a grappler. She, her plan is to take you down to the ground, beat you up with ground and pound. She'll do it for three, five rounds, however long she needs to, to finish you. And Amanda Nunes just took her down to the ground and just created her like a, like a little baby. It's like how banana makes me feel. My jiu-jitsu coach, <laughs> Banana, shout out to Banana. When, whenever I train with this guy, you see the difference in levels. This guy mm-hmm. makes me feel like it's my first day at the gym. And this is what Nunez did to Spencer, man. It was, it was fucking bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think there were a couple spots where her quarter probably should have thrown in the towel. I mean, I get you not wanting to sort of take that away from your fighter. But especially when, at that point, all of Spencer's weapons were pretty much taken away. It was shown it wasn't going to get any better. And Nunez just looked like she, you know, she looked like a cat playing with a mouse. You know, it's like, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, honestly, it's almost an indictment of Nunez that she didn't finish Spencer. (laughs) It's like, but she, but there was also no sense of urgency for Nunez too. Like, why wouldn't she? (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, shout out to Felicia Spencer. Like, the chin that woman has is most people. I mean, that's, those are punches that knocked out cyborg in the first round. And okay. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, the, in the last take was, I thought it was kind of go. One of my takes was I was assuming that maybe it would kind of look like the, uh, Raquel Pennington fight where, you mm-hmm. know, they're friends and, you know, go back a long way. And you kind of saw it in the Pennington fight that like that Nunez honestly kind of felt a little bad for her. And that she was taking the fight slow. And there were times in that fight where I was convinced that Nunez could have starched her and won. And I think that's kind of what we saw with Spencer. And that's what we're seeing with Nunez. Like, she literally handles people so well that when she feels like she doesn't have anything to prove with, sorry to Felicia Spencer, like a, a win against Felicia proves nothing for Nunez's career. Yeah, really. It doesn't you know, really show up with that spectacular knockout. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the reality is the win was a given. Nobody was wondering how that fight was going to go. You know, they were just sort of wondering how long it was going to last. And so, 
you know, yeah, I, I mean, Nunez really hurting her wouldn't move the needle any further. Nope. And so I can, I can see why she would kind of hold back a little bit. But, I mean, honestly, it's probably worse in the long run for Spencer that she ended up taking three times as many punches that she needed to. Yeah, absolutely. Put away fast. The significant strike ratio, I think, was three to one, man. I think Nunez landed somewhere around like 120, and uh, Felicia Spencer landed 44 in the fight. So that's, uh, I actually couldn't believe that the rounds were, uh, that the judges scored at 50 45. Like, I could have easily seen like a 50 43, 50 42. Oh, yeah. I mean, crazy rounds. I mean, honestly, I really, I can't remember any real offensive moments that Spencer had. Nothing. So, like, like 44 significant strikes actually sounds a bit high. We <laughs> get of course, at this point, you know, the fight was almost a week ago. But, like, yeah. but yeah, I can't remember any real spots that Spencer had. And, you know, and, yeah, that's isn't meant to talk poorly about her in any way. I mean, she's one of the best, you know, fighters in the women's division. Absolutely. But, there, you know, like you said, the levels of the shit. She's there's just levels nowhere, of the shit, man. Yeah, yeah there's just nowhere near, She's nowhere near Nunez. <laughs> Absolutely not. And uh, like I was mentioning before, I think that this is going to be like until we see somebody in that division that can really put a notch on Nunez's belt. I don't see a finish coming out of Nunez anytime soon. I think she just babies opponents because if you think about her past fights, the Rousey mm-hmm. fight or the Tate fight. Let's start with the Tate fight. Main event, UFC 200, time to shine. What does she do? She goes in there and she beats the absolute shit out of Misha Tate on the feet, takes her down, chokes her out. Let's fast forward a little bit. Then there's all this hype. Okay, the maybe the Ronda fight against Holm was a fluke. Who knows like what her real abilities are. Nunez literally went in there and she took America, not even just America, just woman's MMA poster child. And just put her on a cross, dude. Absolutely destroyed her. Then we fast forward again. We have the, the home fight, right? Yeah. Home's known for that, that high kick knockout. What does Amanda do? She's got something to prove because everyone's saying, okay, you're not going to be the, the GOAT unless you beat Holly Home. Knocks her out at her own game with a fucking big old head kick. And then they throw her another bone. They say, okay, now you're really only going to cement yourself if you beat the consensus greatest woman's fighter of all time, Chris Cyborg, and she did it in under a minute, 30 seconds, dude. So until we find people of that caliber, I just don't see any freaking way that Amanda Nunes will go in there as motivated as we see her in her previous fights. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's similar to, you know, the behavior Anderson Silva used to show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he, when he fought guys that were clearly beneath his level. Yeah, great example. It, you know, yeah, he'd just play with them like he did with Talos Latis yeah. or um, – Demi Maya Patrick and uh, Patrick yeah, Cote. Yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation, but um, I because I also can't think of anybody else for Nunes. I mean, maybe Shevchenko, but, you know, it's like even that's not super compelling. I mean, she beat her twice already, so where's the third fight going to be? Yeah, Exactly. And so, like, why should we care? That's why Nunes is kind of in a tough spot because there's very – there has been very few fighters in history in either – boxing or MMA where the single fighter will sell the show. Yeah. You know, in MMA we have Connor, Brock Lesnar, maybe GSP. Yeah. But um you know, but generally it's the fight that sells, not the fighter. And Nunez unfortunately is not one of those single fighters that sells. 
Yeah, I 100% get what you're saying. It's like but, that's uh, going to that's going to hurt her payday. That's going to hurt her marketability. And it's tough because she's also, you know, I mean, I know she's been very outspoken in the past about not getting the push that she felt like she deserves. Yeah. But because of the nature of the business, a lot of the marketing comes, you know, on the fighter's end. You know, like Kevin Lee famously would make his own interview, you know, and, I, and then on a higher level, like somebody like Conor McGregor, he always marketed himself. For sure. And so then, so then the opportunities the UFC did give them, you know, were super successful because he was already, he was already a brand at that point. Yeah. But Nunes never really done that sort of outside work, you know, aside from the media opportunity that the UFC gives everybody. And so, so it's a tough spot that she's in because I don't think people are going to be lining up to watch her fight. You know I mean? Especially if she starts going on a decision streak. And so it'll be, it, it'll be tough. It'll be interesting to see what she does to sort of um, what she does going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on a cultural standpoint, you see it a lot with the Brazilian fighters. Like let's talk about all the Brazilian champs we've seen. We've got, Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva, Junior DeSantos, Rafael Dos Anjos, Amanda Nunes. We've got a laundry list of fighters that have been champs in the UFC, but it kind of, I guess, derives to that uh, the difference between the kind of glamorizing of mixed martial arts and kind of putting it into this light where it is kind of a big show now where they want people to market it and that fine line between martial artists, right? So you get a lot of guys that put on a front and they sell pay-per-views like Chael Sonnen, you know, he's probably one of the nicest guys alive, but the guy can talk shit. And we saw him do it against Silva. We saw him do it against countless people. There's always that fine line between uh, marketing yourself and being a real martial artist. And I just feel like none of the Brazilian mixed martial arts champions or contenders that is, uh, won't do that. They just simply won't do it. I agree. I mean, honestly, I feel like people forget but Aldo kind of needed McGregor like yeah. that, even though he ultimately lost that helped him as much as it helped Connor, you yeah. know? And I mean, it's same with like Nate Diaz. I know he's not Brazilian, but that was a similar situation where they were both. Yeah. Like they were, they were popular enough, but nobody would, you know, very few people were buying the pay-per-view to watch Nate or to watch Aldo because the Aldo numbers were not great prior to that. Nobody gave no, a no, shit no. Yeah. fighting Adelanis or, you know, or any of these other people when he was on this big street. You know, but McGregor put the spotlight on it. You know, he how he McGregor played keep away with his belt. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It, it it created a big conversation around him. It brought a lot of eyeballs to Aldo, and then he was able to take that and ride and run with it. Yeah, man, I completely agree with you. But like we said, I mean, it's coming to this topic about selling fights. We were talking about it earlier. We've got a lot of guys now that are absolutely refusing to fight for lack of pay. So we got uh, – actually, to McGregor's credit, he's not even asking for more money because he knows he's going to get paid anyways. This guy just wants to fucking fight. Yeah. But uh, Masvidal, we got uh, more famously John Jones, who's allegedly relinquished his belt. We have Henry Cejudo, who a lot of people – there's no confirmation, but allegedly relinquished his belt because he wasn't getting paid what he was worth. So. I think we're running into a really odd time in the UFC. Nothing's really working the way it should. Exactly. I mean, and that and that's such a tricky spot. Like you say, like getting paid what he's worth. 
Yeah. It's like, but then what Dana, like what Dana White would probably say is what he's worth is reflected in the pay-per-view box. And if he's not selling, then, and then I'm sorry, but that's what, that's what you're worth. You yeah, know what I mean? getting fucking paid, man. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And I, I know it sucks seeing, um, you know, and I think the argument certainly can be made that the, re- that the revenue split should be greater in favor of the fighters. Because, I mean, yeah, the company sold for $4 billion or $5 billion, something like that. And the fighters make a very, very small portion of that. <laughs> and so, I think um, the shareholders and, make more money than the fighters, man. Yeah, I mean, and so, um, and so, I mean, yeah, the fighters should be getting paid more. But I also think that, there, you know, we should be seeing more people like Chael, like Cotter, and even Colby Covington, who decided to sort of take his career into his own hands and become interesting. Granted, yeah. he also became an asshole, but he became an interesting asshole. Sure. People tune into just to watch him lose, yeah. you know, because that, that's fine. And then, so, like, it is tough, you know, when you talk about taking that line between entertainer and martial artist. Because I feel like we have ideas in our head about what both of those are. Yeah. But, I mean, the, you know, fighters are still in the entertainment industry. For and sure, absolutely. Result, and as a result, I mean, their values based on what people are willing to pay to watch them fight. If nobody gives a shit, then it's like, I'm sorry, but the, you know, the money's not there. Yeah. I think, they, uh, sorry, I heard a super interesting take today that I think makes a lot of sense is that uh, Dana said it at the post-fight press conference at UFC 250 that he's the only person in sports right now that's actually putting on events. And yeah, I, mean, I know Korean baseball is still going. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, 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 well that's, that, that's the thing. I mean, right now the UFC is kind of the only game in town and they're trying to make it work in spite of the fact that there's nobody in the stands. It's like exactly that. what I was going to say is that there's no gate. Yeah, and I mean, and that in itself is going to hurt revenue. And so the UFC is not looking to be paying fighters any more than they've already contractually agreed to exactly so and, if you just saw if you just signed an eight fight deal man like you can't go around begging for, for for more money after fight two especially in the conditions we're in now so oh wait i mean it, exactly and that and that is in frankly i mean that is another side of it it's like you know you didn't have to sign the contract you know what i mean i know it's such a tough position you know because it's like the you know what like what are you gonna do say no to the ufc yeah, and there's not a ton of power, and that's why I know there's always been talk about a fighters' union, but nobody's quite been able to figure out how that would be structured. But yeah, I mean, with the UFC like already taking big losses in revenue because there's no there's no live gate. I mean, it, it you know it, it's tough to justify why Dana would be willing to pay, especially a guy like Cejudo, who as as much of an amazing talent as he is nobody's ever been banging down the door to watch fight. You know, why would Dana want to pay him? You know, and so that's why I feel like when he said he retired, nobody was really bitching. <laughs> They're like, okay, see ya. Yeah, I mean, king of cringe. I mean, the guy's going to say anything that comes to his mind. Uh, my lifetime reaction to him retiring was just like, oh, well, let the division move on, man. Let those two divisions move on. Uh, yeah, they, it, exactly. And, um, and so, I mean, it's tough. I do know other sports are coming back, like the NHL, yeah. I think, is starting up next week. And um, I think the NBA is starting pretty soon, too. But I mean, but yeah, German I mean, soccer is back, dude. I'm watching German <laughs> soccer all the time, dude. I'm sitting here. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's why you have to give Dana the UFC credit, you know, yeah. 
Dana worked his ass off to actually still be able to have some semblance of continuity. Yeah. And he was able to get up and running before anybody else. And honestly, I've actually been really enjoying the fights out of the Apex Center. Uh, you know, being the ones out of Florida without the audience. I like being able to hear the coaches. I like being able to hear the strikes as they land. It just yeah. it adds something to it. Really the only does. time you really the crowd is when Bruce Buffer's doing his thing. I knew it was so different when I was watching that uh, Ferguson Gaethje fight, dude. Like mm. every single time. Gagey landed a punch. It sounded like he was punching into his soul, dude. You could hear that. You could hear every punch, man. And I watched, I watched the highlight tape again today because Khabib actually posted. Khabib uh, posted on his Instagram today the highlight tape of uh, Justin Gagey, kind of giving him a little bit of respect. Mm. There's about a 45-second segment of this highlight tape where I thought I was watching 45 seconds of the same shit. Just Justin Gagey changing levels popping them and you can hear that shit throughout the whole arena man it was absolutely bananas i love listening to the fights at uh these empty stadiums yeah i mean honestly like i wouldn't mind if we never see a live crowd again (laughs) um, but i mean uh, obviously though it does hurt everybody for for the ufc to be making less money Ah, you know because you know because like i mean nobody doesn't think that the fighters should be getting paid more yeah. You know, I mean, to be a professional athlete in the biggest organization in the world and only be making 10 and 10, you know, it's like that's, that's, that's tough, especially when like the minimum pay for any other, you know, professional sports league is generally a lot higher. Now, granted, sure. yeah, the UFC sold for like 4 billion, but so would the New York Jets. <laughs> and so like the entire company is as big as like one team in the NFL. Yeah. And that's why the long snapper makes 450 K a year, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, it, you know, there, there is a, there is a meritocracy to this. Yeah. And like, sure. and, but it's just, it, it is tough because you want to see the guys who are going through so much and sacrificing so much just to, you know, put on a show, you know, because again, they're in the entertainment industry. That, um, it, you know, you want to see them get, get compensated a little more, but you know, at the same time, I couldn't tell you what the answer is that would make sense for everybody. So it's tough. And to a degree, I mean, it is the entertainment industry, but it is the fight business, man. And you can't expect every single fighter to go in there and be a personality like McGregor or like Sonnen or like uh, Colby Covington or all these big trash talkers that we see time and time again. And I do do feel for the fighters, man, because you and I both know a lot of guys that have competed at that level and are still at that level. And uh, they're just – Humble guys going to the gym, do their rounds, beat the shit out of everybody, go into the ring, kick ass, and, uh, and call it a day. And I, I think the content of what you produce in the octagon should also reflect how much you're making. I mean, I know they have bonus incentives and things like that. And unfortunately, the UFC is such a new sport that not everybody tunes into every single fight, which I can yeah. understand, but... In a perfect world, you'd see guys making money for what they produce in the cage. Yeah, uh, it's it's true, and um, and but I mean, and again, to sort of I guess take the business side of it, you know, one would argue that what they produce is evident in the people who are going to buy the tickets. Yeah, you know what I mean, because like that's the direct reflection. Because I mean, unfortunately, they could get anybody to fight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, but um, it's like, but can they get people to sell? Sure. That's, that's like that's an entirely different different situation. I mean, there are little things. Yeah, nobody's expecting like because guy to find a guy like Conor McGregor who both has the personality and the charisma and the 
you know, ambition to sort of do what he did is incredibly rare, and that's what makes it special. But there are there are some things you can do, like you know, when they ask you who you want to fight next, don't just say anybody who John Sheldon puts in front of me. Like you know, just say a name. There doesn't have to be a story because then they can make that into a story. Like the like the UFC loves it when you kind of do their job for them and just yeah. you know call somebody out. You know, like there are little things that you can do to sort of you know just make something compelling. But I don't know. Maybe it, it's it's like, like you said, it's a tricky situation, and um, because not everybody does have that personality where they can really sell themselves and feel super confident doing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, close to you, uh, I loved watching Manny fight in the UFC. I was actually live at the Hamburg fight, and uh, that was the first time I saw Manny actually fight in the UFC. I mean, I've, I've seen the local fights and obviously knew who he was and stuff like that just from gym to gym. Um, I wanted to ask you, because obviously, I mean, from what you see, it seems to be not the biggest trash talker, but the Benito Lopez fight. Yeah. There was a lot of back and forth in that fight. Like, what did you see from Manny that he just felt the need to kind of flip that switch and kind of start that little, little rivalry? Was it, was it this kind of intention to sell yourself and just try to promote, or was there actually bad blood in that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't really think it was either. I think, you know, if I remember correctly, uh, Benito was kind of the one who started it. And Manny's just sort of a, he's just kind of a playful guy. Like he likes busting people's balls. He likes being funny. And so I think he was more sort of playing along. And at that point too, he definitely, you know, was riding a wave of confidence, you know, after getting that big win over Davy Grant. And so, and that, 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 and I think that was more what we saw in the Benito Lopez fight. Awesome, man. Well, it was awesome uh, recording the second episode of the podcast, man. I really enjoyed it. Stay tuned for next week, guys. Hopefully we have better fights on the weekend. You can listen to the podcast on any podcast site ever, man. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm. You can follow us on Instagram at 10YBB. All of the links to the podcast will be in the bio. Thanks for the support, guys. Cheers.